Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. So here's the question. The big question is, how did Paul deal with his situation? How was it that he was able to stay encouraged himself and not only stay encouraged himself, but how was it that he was able to encourage others? How was it that Paul was able to continue to praise God rather than in despair, curse God or blame God for the problems that he was experiencing? Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Ephesians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Ephesians, chapter 3, verse 1, in a message titled, The Prisoner of Christ. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 7. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles... If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. So as we continue to make our way through this epistle to the Ephesians, Coming now to the third chapter, I want to do something that we haven't done yet. I want to look at a certain aspect of Paul's experience that we've yet to look at in our study of the epistle. But before I enter into that, let me read to you a few verses from uh, both from this letter and also from Paul's letter to the Philippians. So back in in chapter one, verse three, we read this, we studied this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And then at the end of this third chapter that we will get to eventually, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And then to the Philippians in the fourth chapter, Paul said there, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then um, chapter 4 of Philippians again, verses 11 through 13. For I have learned that whatever state I am in, to be content. 
I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, all of these verses have certain obvious things in common. Number one, they are all written by the same person. Secondly, as you notice, they are all words of encouragement. These and uh, other similar passages in these epistles, they're encouraging. They encourage us as the people of God. And also, we see that they are, all of them, praise-oriented. They're all praising God. They're blessing God. They're speaking of the glory of God. So those are the, the, the... the obvious things that they have in common. Uh, They all have another not so obvious thing in common, and that is this. They were all written from a Roman prison. They were written from a Roman prison. Can you believe that? All of these words of encouragement, these words of praise, they were not written from uh, a personal study in a you know, in an, in an isolated place where Paul was living in comfort. They were written from a prison, from a Roman prison, nonetheless. I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Here's a question. How could such encouragement, such praise, such contentment, flow from a man in such difficult circumstances. How could it be? I mean, you would, you would think that in being in prison, and, and listen, Roman prisons were, it's, it's not any place that you'd ever want to end up. You know, we, we think of our prisons today, and especially in this country, and of course, uh, some prisons today are sort of more like hotels, Well, this was about as far from that as you could possibly get. This is like the worst thing in your mind that you can imagine for a prison. That's pretty much the kind of prison that Paul was in. So how could such encouragement, praise, contentment, how could that flow from a man in these kinds of circumstances? And remember this too, that Paul's trouble was not because of sin, It was not because of bad choices on his part. Paul's trouble was directly related to his service to Jesus Christ. He had been unjustly accused and placed in prison. But yet here he is rejoicing. Here he is bringing encouragement to others. Now, it's important for us to note that whether we like it or not, there are difficult times for the people of God. We, all of us at some time or another, are going to pass through difficult seasons. We're we're going to go through these times where we, we feel like we are in a prison, We're in an uncomfortable situation. We're in a a difficulty and we're locked into it. We can't get out of it. And it's important for us to, to understand that because this is real 
Christianity. But there are those today that are giving to some a false concept of the Christian life. They're, they're trying to attract people to churches or whatever through um, what they refer to as a, a positive message. Uh, it's not uncommon to come across uh, advertising for new churches that are starting in communities that, that read something like this. We are a contemporary church designed with you in mind. Come and join us and you will hear messages communicating proven principles for successful living. And, and a lot of churches attract people through that kind of advertising. You know, it, it's, it's a positive message. You're going to learn how to, to be more successful in your personal life and more successful in your relationships and maybe more successful in your business or more successful in your marriage or whatever. And although, of course, being a Christian and studying God's word can certainly help us in all these different areas of life, that's really not the primary message of the scripture. It's certainly not the primary message of the New Testament. Paul was a literal prisoner because of his preaching of the gospel, and we might find ourselves in the same thing at some time. We might find ourselves literally in prison for our faith, uh, but if not literally, we will find ourselves at different seasons, like I said, in situations that are for us practically a prison. So here's the question. The big question is, how did Paul deal with his situation? How was it that he was able to stay encouraged himself and not only stay encouraged himself, but how was it that he was able to encourage others? How was it that Paul was able to continue to praise God rather than in despair, you know, curse God or blame God for the, the problems that he was experiencing. How did he deal with, it, with this situation? Well, he tells us indirectly as he introduces himself here as the prisoner of Christ Jesus. That's how he did it. He saw his circumstances as being part of the bigger picture of God's plan. Now, from the human point of view, Paul seemed to be a prisoner of the Roman government. He seemed to be a prisoner of Nero. But yet Paul doesn't speak of himself as a prisoner of Rome or as a, more specifically as a prisoner of Nero. He says, no, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. What Paul understood, what Paul believed in, is what we call the sovereignty of God. And when we talk about the sovereignty of God, what we're talking about is God's rule over everything. God rules over everything. There's nothing that happens that escapes his attention. There's nothing that happens that he doesn't allow to happen. And that's true universally, but it's even more specifically true when it comes to his people. And Paul was convinced of that. He was convinced of the sovereignty of God. And so his reasoning would go something like this. If God wanted him out of prison, he would be out of prison. Since he was in prison, it must be, even though he couldn't understand it, it must be part of God's bigger plan to have him in prison at the time. So that's how he was able to accept it and rejoice even in the middle of it. Now, Paul obviously knew that God had power to deliver him. He would have known that just simply because he knew who God was, but he also would have known it because God had done this for other 
of his servants in recent times. And Paul would have been familiar with those stories. He would have known the story of how the apostles were arrested in Jerusalem in the early days of the uh, development of the church, how they were put into jail and forbidden to preach the gospel, and how an angel came and actually liberated them, let them out of the prison. He would have known that story. He would have known the story of how uh, when Peter was arrested and was awaiting execution, how the Lord sent an angel to rescue Peter. He would have known these things. And of course, he would have then reasoned that just as, as God set Peter free from his imprisonment, just as God set the other apostles free from their imprisonment, he could also set me free. But because he hadn't, Paul accepted the fact that he was the prisoner of Christ. He accepted the fact that there's something in this that I can't understand, that I can't see right now, that is somehow tied to the will of God and ultimately to the glory of God. And this is something that we all need to learn because we're all going to experience things in life that we just don't understand. We just don't see why such a thing could happen. It doesn't make any sense to us from our perspective. I cannot tell you how many conversations I have had with God where I have begun the conversation with these words, I don't get it. That is how I have started. I, I'm, um, you don't notice I'm not using the word prayer. I'm using the word conversation. Prayer is a little more, I don't know, maybe, maybe a little more reverent. Mine have just been conversations. Lord, I don't get it. I don't know why you're allowing this. I, none of this makes any sense to me. You ever say anything like that to God? Well, I have many, many times over. And you know what? I don't think it's a bad thing. The Bible tells us that we have access uh, with confidence before him. And the word confidence means that we can speak our mind boldly. So there are times I come to God and I just tell him flat out, I don't get it. This doesn't make sense. And if I were you, I would do something like differently than you are doing what you're doing. I, if, if you're open for any kind of advice, let me just suggest to you that we might do things another way. I, I have truly had many of those kinds of conversations uh, with the Lord. So, but Paul... And, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know that Paul didn't have those conversations, at least occasionally, uh, himself with God. But there was a point where he just simply embraced the sovereignty of God, and he says, I am the prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, another question that arises is, why would God allow such a thing? Why, why, why does God throw his servants in prison at times? Whether it's the prison like Paul was in, the Roman dungeon, or the prison that other servants of Christ happen to be in, literal prison cells in different places of the world. Whether it's that, or, or the prison of physical affliction, or the prison of uh, emotional distress, or the prison of family catastrophe or the prison of financial difficulties, whatever 
crushing problem comes into our lives that we have no ability to escape. It's like we're locked up in a prison. Why does God allow that kind of thing to happen? Well, let me give you a few things that I think play into this and and give us at least partially the answer. Number one, revelation. God allows this for deeper revelation. Had Paul not been in prison, we might not have the New Testament that we know and love today. Because Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 2 Timothy, and Philemon were all written from prison. Isn't that something? We, We often don't realize that, do we? You read those epistles. I don't know about you. I would imagine it's true. I have been so blessed through the scriptures in each one of those letters. I've been so blessed through Ephesians. I think you've been blessed through Ephesians as well. All Philippians, so many times I've been ministered to and spoken to and encouraged. And the same has been true with Colossians. And oh, 2 Timothy, one of my favorites. But those would not be in our New Testament if it were not for Paul's imprisonment. Paul was a busy man. He didn't necessarily have time to sit down and write all of these things. It's almost like God said, okay, I need... I need you to write some scripture here. Let me set you aside for a while. And there he was. He found himself in the prison. So oftentimes, this is what happens. God allows these things for greater revelation to come. And as we look at the bigger picture of the biblical picture, and even as we go beyond the scriptures into our our lives today, uh, we find this pattern that it's during times of distress and difficulty and affliction and uncertainty, it's during these times that we get a deeper understanding of who God is. We have many times a deeper experience with him. I think of Joseph, what a great example. Joseph was in prison as well. Joseph was unjustly cast into a pit and then sold into slavery. And, and he went as a slave as into the home of a, of a slave owner and he served there. But then he was falsely accused. And as a result of that false accusation, he was thrown into prison. And there he was. And he spent many years in that prison. And no doubt there, his, his uh, hope began to wane. There was one uh, point where one of the one of the Pharaoh's close servants was put into prison as well. And uh, Joseph was able to interpret the dream he had, which led, in the end, the, the man was released from prison and restored back to his a position of serving Pharaoh. But Joseph said to him, when you're released, plead my case before Pharaoh. Tell him that there's an innocent man. And and." Get me out of this prison. And I'm sure the man said, you bet. Oh, you blessed me so much. You told me my future. And uh, my future is good. Yes, just hold on. I'll, I'll let him know as soon as I get out. Well, he got out and he just completely forgot about it. And two years passed before anything happened. Uh, can you imagine? So Joseph would have been 
discouraged like anybody else would have been. But here's the thing. As you go later on into the future, as you see Joseph's ultimate deliverance and all those things, Joseph has two sons, and one of them he names Ephraim. The name Ephraim means fruitful. And Joseph said this regarding his name. He said, he is Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. You see, he could look back on it and say, wow, God did something in me. God revealed himself in a greater way. It says in Psalm 105 that they put his feet in the the stocks and that iron entered his soul. And as he was there in that prison, the idea is that his soul was being forged. God was forging in him this this deep thing. So we have that example with Joseph. We see the same thing with Job. Job is the proverbial sufferer. He's the one that we, we make reference to when we want to talk about intense human suffering. We, t- we use Job as the illustration. And he did suffer indeed. And yet, when it's all said and done, as he comes to the conclusion of the whole thing, what does he say? He said, you know, before I entered into this experience, I knew about God theoretically. That's what he's saying. He said, I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye has seen you. So he knew about God theoretically, but after it's all over, he says, but now I know you experientially. You see, that's what happens. We could say the same thing about Moses. We forget, we read the story about Moses there in the wilderness and the the burning bush, but we forget that Moses was in the wilderness because he was in exile. He was a prince of Egypt, but he was in exile in the wilderness. But it was there in his exiled state that God met him and revealed himself to him. Or you think a little bit further into the history and you think of Isaiah who said, when in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Uzziah was a great king, and when he died, it was tragic. And all of the security that Uzziah had brought to the kingdom would just suddenly vanished. It was a dark time, but Isaiah said, it was in the year that Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. So you see, we, we see here in these that God uses these times, these imprisonments, whatever they might be, he uses them to deepen our experience with him. Are you suffering today? Are you in some prison today? Remember, God is sovereign. And now, let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. There are certain Christian books that we would refer to today as classics, books that have just stood the test of time, and generation after generation of Christians have benefited from them. There is a book that is recently published called Gentle and Lowly, written by Dane Ortland. And, you know, many people are already saying that this is a Christian classic. Now, Gentle and Lowly is 
taken from the passage in Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus says of himself that he is gentle and lowly in heart. And so this book is looking at Jesus through that lens, and we're going to find out that Jesus is much more gracious, much more patient, much more loving than we ever imagined him to be. So this is a fantastic book, and I highly recommend it, especially for anyone who has a tendency to feel like they failed God, they've let him down, or you're not sure about God's love for you. This book is going to, I think, forever give you the right perspective on the heart of Jesus for his children. So check it out, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. You can order the book Gentle and Lowly by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Ephesians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.